0: How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to 19-Year-Old Shrink. This is Will John Grande. So this is the last episode that'll be 19. Kinda awkward, not gonna lie. My friends have asked me if I'll change the name, and the answer is no. Staying loyal to the name, because 19-Year-Old Shrink just sounds a lot better than 20-Year-Old Shrink. But this is the last episode of the season, and season two will start off next week when I turn 20. But anyway, today we're going to discuss a topic that I feel is very overlooked, but very prevalent for each and every one of us. And this is the topic of saying yes to too many unnecessary obligations and learning what to say no to. And this is something that I struggle with every single day of my life. And in society today, it's understandable that this is an issue for so many people. The rise of social media has led to us being exposed to individuals that seem to have these crazy busy lives that are filled with such a wide and diverse amount of obligations. And because we see them as successful, we begin to want to take up every single opportunity that comes our way. And what I usually do is I compare where I'm at in my life to people who have achieved more than I have, who might be 30, 40 years older than me. I start hearing about all the things they've done in their life and start thinking to myself, wow, I got to take up every opportunity that I can, because that's what these people have done. But what I fail to recognize is that their success has compounded over time. And I'm looking at all of their achievements over a 50 to 60-year lifespan and putting it into one year that I need to achieve all of that. And what's weird is our decision sometimes to take up all these opportunities leads to wasting time. And one of the most important topics in this episode is just understanding that we could be wasting time even if we have the right intentions. Meaning, for me, there's two types of wasting time in my opinion. I feel like everyone's been victim of this at some point in their life. There's the obvious type where you're consciously choosing to watch that TV or go to the movies. I'm just giving a hypothetical situation instead of finishing up that work that you have to do for your job. But let's say you decide to not go to the movies and do the work you need to do for your job. But this job is something that you aren't passionate about and isn't steering you in a direction that is going to give you the best quality of life. Now, you could think that you're a person that doesn't waste time and is a hard worker when you're doing this and focusing on your work, But you're committing your time to something that isn't the most efficient and beneficial for you as a person. And for me, this is just as bad as going to the movies or watching TV when I should be doing work. So that first type of wasting time is a conscious acknowledgement and is detrimental, whereas the second is more of an illusion that we're being productive, but we're really being just as detrimental. And even with myself, I wouldn't say that I fall into that category of consciously wasting my time, the watching TV or going to the movies when I should be more productive. But there are definitely points in my day where I'm victim to the illusion that I am progressing when I really am not. Certain areas for me include trying to say yes to every opportunity on campus and getting involved with so many different activities. And what happens is that I get so used to saying yes that I eventually have to sacrifice certain activities I like because I'm committed to too many things. Also, another one that I've experienced that I think many people can relate to are hanging around people that don't really serve us. You know, sometimes we naturally find a group of people that initially are fun to be around, but over time you feel like you've outgrown them or you need to move on. But we don't. And for me, usually that was out of fear of the unknown. First off, I was too afraid to come off as an ass to my friends because we would become close and doing something like that would be so out of the ordinary. But also, leaving a certain friend or friend group can be intimidating because there could be a feeling of loneliness that we can't really bear to think of. But right on the other side of that are the people that we're meant to be around and that are serving us and helping us grow as individuals. And this struggle just lies in being what some call a non-essentialist and allowing others to choose for us instead of choosing for ourselves and being unessentialist. Meaning, me being afraid to leave friends because others will judge me is me allowing them to choose my life for me because I'm caring too much about what they think. Same applies with me taking on too many activities at school. Sometimes I'm allowing the feeling of obligation to choose for me instead of having the confidence to make the decision for myself. And this is stuff I'm still struggling with and still need to learn how to address. I take on a lot of different responsibilities because I'm a people pleaser at times, (laughs) I'll admit it. And also, I don't want to be... A jerk when I don't want to be around certain people anymore And this is very prevalent for me in this moment in my life I have unbelievable friends That I'll have for my life And I'm involved with things that I will be passionate about For my entire life as well But it's all about narrowing that gap And having those people and activities as present as possible In your life And learning to move on from those things getting in the way And a great resource that's helped me Is the book Essentialism The Disciplined Pursuit of Less by Greg McCowan It was a game changer, not gonna lie. (laughs) And much, and I mean much of what we'll be discussing today is from that book. I don't want to take credit or anything like that. And to start off, let's just discuss the two most important definitions in the book. An essentialist and a non-essentialist. A non-essentialist is someone who believes everything is essential. And an essentialist is someone who believes almost everything is (laughs) non-essential. I know it's confusing. But basically, what makes the two different is how they handle choice. The non essentialist says yes, yes, yes to every single opportunity, because they don't have the awareness to know what's best for them. And what's the best use of their time. So to them, everything is important. And then their entire life revolves around a lack of direction. Their lack of awareness is choosing for them. But the essentialist sees almost everything as non important because they've become aware of what their gifts are and know the importance of focusing more on less things. They can choose those things that will be best for them instead of someone or something else choosing for them. They're being helped by that understanding and are able to design a life rather than having a default one like the non-essentialist. If you guys aren't with me right now, don't worry, completely understandable. I know I'm throwing a lot of like different technical information at you, but it's all gonna be explained later on. But let's start with an example from the book. Warren Buffett, one of the wealthiest and smartest people on this planet, he's an essentialist. He and his firm make very few investments and hold on to them for a very long time because he recognizes the idea of the compounding effect. But he recognized it would be impossible to make hundreds of correct investment decisions. So he made a plan to only focus his attention on the companies most certain to succeed. And now he owes 90% of his wealth to 10 investments that he has. In this situation warren buffett discerned and explored his options when investing he recognized that almost all of the investments were not essential and decided to pick the ones that would be the most essential he chose a different investment strategy and went away from the many and was recognized greatly for it he knew he had the power to choose and took the most advantage of it and because he had the ability to say no he has become one of the greatest influences in the world now again this doesn't need to relate to your finances but it can be related to many different areas of your life. It's also centered around the questions that we ask ourselves because Warren Buffett's questions could be a lot different than a parent who's trying to support their kids. Warren Buffett's question could have been, how do I maximize the most amount of investments that will yield the greatest success? Whereas a mother trying to support her kids would be, how can I still provide for the family financially while being more present for my kids as they're growing up? And this all lies in the idea of the trade-off, which is the most important part of becoming an essentialist. And we'll come back to the parent example who's trying to support their kids later on. But first, let's go back to an example from the book. So it mentions the company Southwest Airlines and CEO Herb Keller. So he created a business model that at the time was scrutinized, but became well-respected and even modeled by other airlines as well. Herb, going back to the discerning part, was the greatest discerner you could find out there. He explored, explored, explored so that he didn't have to have someone else do it for him and make the choices for him. What he realized was that the airline industry never really achieved great profits so he began focusing his attention on how he could do that for the southwest airline again your essentials might be a lot different than someone else's but it's all the same system and for herb in order to be profitable he began making choices to do only point-to-point destinations between certain areas in the southwest instead of having these crazy prices for high quality meals he simply didn't have any meals on the flight and considering the short flight time financially that made sense but most airplanes at the time had predetermined seating arrangements and still do now where you, you get put with someone who listens to really loud music and you can't fall asleep or they fall asleep and you're trying to go to the bathroom but you have a window seat and you have to do that little awkward nudge where you're like hey buddy i gotta go to the bathroom for the third time and they're getting all pissed off you didn't have to deal with that for southwest airline also no first class seating all coach again taking away the expenses his main focus was how does he be profitable? It wasn't this crazy elaborate idea or goal. He just knew exactly what he wanted and simplified it down to the action steps that would allow him to achieve that. But underlying all these changes, (laughs) what can we say happened here? He was deliberate in making trade-offs. He wanted to change the narrative and make his business profitable. And there had to be a trade-off in order to do that. He couldn't do exactly what other airlines were doing. Because if he did, he would be allowing the other airlines and their system to choose for him. So becoming profitable meant sacrificing first class seating, food on flight, length of destination. He stayed true to his vision, which was being a low cost airline. And because he anticipated and discerned, instead of reacting, he made Southwest one of the most successful airlines out there. Now the book mentions another airline called Continental that modeled Southwest, but didn't use trade-offs. And they use a strategy the book referred to as the straddling strategy, which means keeping your strategy intact while also trying to adopt the strategy of a competitor. So the strategy they adopted of Southwest showed itself in Continental Light. Lower fares, no meals, no first class seating, you know the deal. But Continental Light only had a small percentage of flights by that airline. And they lacked efficiency. And what happened was they had to sacrifice other areas on the airline to help make up for all the losses they were experiencing with Continental Light. So this is a perfect example of the importance of trade-offs and also how a business failed to use them and what ultimately ended up happening to them. Now we're going to do one more example. And I love this example. It's with this guy named Victor Hugo. So he signed a contract to write what we now know as the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And after signing that contract for the next year, this dude is out doing other things, entertaining people and doing literally everything other than writing what is now a classic novel. I haven't had the pleasure of reading it. I'm a little behind on the 1800s historical literature, but that's next on my list, don't worry. (laughs) But anyway, the publisher threatened to end the contract for his book because he was just messing around and Hugo realized that he needed to focus. His essential idea was finishing this book in the next six months because that's what the publisher gave him. So what he did was he took all of his clothes, removed them from his closet and locked them up so he would literally not be able to go out and do all the things getting in his way. All he had was a legit robe for the next six months. Ultimately, he finished the book two weeks early and as mentioned, now it's a classic. But here he had to make a trade-off. He couldn't ask himself, how can I do it all? He asked himself, Which problem do I want? And that's the question that people who understand trade-offs realize. He wanted to write a great book, and the trade-off was that he just couldn't go out and do the things that he was doing the previous year. And how did he do that? He locked away his clothes and forced himself to write the book. Trade-offs. Again, in this moment, he discerned, he chose, and he created, and didn't allow others to choose for him. The same applies to Southwest and Warren Buffett. Keeping the high costs in the same systems like Continental did, or choosing to invest in a bunch of different companies is the same choice as Hugo choosing to go out and still have a good time while writing this book. But these individuals recognized that they couldn't do everything, and they knew what would bring them the greatest success. Now relating it back to the parent who's trying to be there more for their kids. Now some of the things they're involved with could be a book club, golfing, with friends at the club. Basketball league or just spending time working on weekends. And again, I'm not a parent I know I have a lot to learn when I'm older, but many might ask themselves How can I do it all? Every option is attractive, but choosing to do each one takes away from you getting the most out of one or two So you keep going to all the activities and you find a way to see your kids a little bit more But what happens is now you're getting exhausted. You haven't realized that you need to make trade-offs You didn't sacrifice the tennis golf or book club and now You're even more exhausted and you aren't as present with your kids because you're too tired. So yes, you are getting the best of both worlds, kind of, but eventually you're not able to fulfill exactly what you went out to do. And that is having a more fulfilling relationship with your kids. So what we need to do is constantly ask ourselves, what is that vital few? And for me, with certain activities and people in my life, for me to answer the vital few, it's very simple. (laughs) I consider myself a forward thinker. And something that immediately puts into focus the attitude of an essentialist is asking will i be doing this five years from now or will i be friends with this person five years from now after leaving high school i realized a lot of people who i was worried about getting judged by aren't even in my life now (laughs) and some of the people that i spent so much time with i don't even talk to anymore but some of the kids i didn't spend as much time with are some of my best friends and by asking myself this future-based question where am i going to be in five years I'm able to discern the vital few from the trivial many it no longer is about the short-term struggles it's about the long-term rewards but this doesn't mean taking out all the little things that seem trivial but are actually compounding into something great Uh, my friend mason last week was at top five in the nation for cutco sales i think it was a little bit over twelve thousand dollars just a little shout out she mentioned this and i thought that really stood out to me because if You're a podcaster, like if I'm doing this stuff, this means you have to do social media messaging, posting every day, keeping the content coming. And you can fall into the illusion that this is really not that important when it is. And being able to discern that those tasks add up and are helping the long-term is really important. So understanding that there's a difference between the unimportant parts of your life and the things that are small but build up over time is really vital. And she... Told that to me and I was like, oh, that is a really good idea. Uh, so shout out mason But to wrap up here It's important to first accept that we all can be non-essentialists at different points of life And also out of the right intention. I can tell you right now Like honestly <laughs> There's so many moments in my life every single day. I'm a non-essentialist But it's about asking What is it that we really want for our lives and how can we choose for ourselves rather than having others choose for us? Our situations are no different from the Warren Buffett's, Herb Kelleher's, Victor Hugo's <laughs> beast. And if we can discern enough of our lives and understand what trade offs we can make, we can have the most fulfilling life out there. And in order to do that, we must first understand that we cannot do everything, but we can ask questions that will lead us to narrowing our focus towards whatever we want. And from there, we can begin to have a life that's made out of design and not by default. But now, I just wanna thank everyone for a great first season. Being able to have your support and learning from you guys and also seeing myself grow has been such an unbelievable experience. And although I'll never be 19 ever again, I know that I'll always remember this age as like a place where I started my life, where I was able to help influence other people and I allowed other people to influence me. Um, But tune in next week for the start of season two and another year of 19-year-old shrink. For more information on the book Essentialism, the Disciplined Pursuit of Less, go to my Instagram page, 19-year-old shrink podcast, or my personal page, WJG23. But other than that, have a great day, everyone, and take care.